Hey there, this is singer-songwriter Lorenzo Walcott, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout Podcast. Are you ready for it? Three, two, one, let's go. Hey everyone and welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And in this episode, guys, we are giving you two comics for the price of one, two amazing titles, Nostalgia and Wag, both available exclusively through our good friends at Comixology. And joining me now is the mind behind both these great titles, Scott Hoffman, you may know him better uh, as a baby daddy with the disco glam band Scissors Sisters. Scott, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Appreciate it. All right. You know, I want to start by just asking about what got you into writing comics, because from what I can guess, this is kind of a, a recent shift for you career-wise. Yeah, it's a, it's a shift, although it's something that uh, I started the band back in 2001 with, uh, with our singer, Jake, um, and we... I had just gotten out of school and I was in school for, uh, I was an English major uh, and in in a creative writing program in school in uh, New York City. And Jake was in school as well. And he was studying uh, creative writing as well. And we were really avid readers, always trading books back and forth, um, as well as movies and video games and every, every other bit of genre we kind of obsessed over. But we were big obsessives about writing and about, in some sense, world building, which I, th- uh, I I do say was a big part of what we were doing with with our band. And for me, what a lot of great bands and uh, musical artists in the past have done is create worlds for their fans to to uh, to immerse themselves in. So. It was it was a pivot, but it was something I had always longed to do and couldn't really figure out how to make happen until until recently. And I was kind of forced into it, which is sometimes the best way to 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 end up in new uh, in new careers or or, uh, new hobbies or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. 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 I think I think you should need that that like uh, that, like push out the door basically to do this new thing. So, yeah. How was it when you started out? You know, because given that you don't have a ton of experience with the comics world, I would I would uh, adjust that to zero experience, Fair which enough. I'm okay with. Um, but I did have friends in comics, and one of those friends was Phil Jimenez, uh, who uh, uh, you may know from uh, drawing and writing Wonder Woman for years, and uh, a lot of other amazing amazing stuff. I probably knew him more from his run on uh, Invisibles and some some other some other kind of random pieces of art that I had seen that a you know a friend of mine had his work on the on his wall and we we were just friends for years and I was like oh this this guy is so talented but I kind of like let him do what he does and I kind of do what I do and we always loved kind of exchanging those 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 um uh those stories about our our careers and when I kind of expressed to him that this is something I wanted to do um, and had always wanted to do. I think he saw that as an opportunity to uh, have someone push him because I think a lot of people in 
positions that 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 you know the Phil Jimenez's of the world are in. Uh, they've been doing it for so long. Sometimes they need some accountability or they need someone to kind of um, keep them excited. So he asked me to join a writing group with him. I'd say more of an accountability group because I think he was drawing. He was tr- he was writing as well. Uh, he was drawing Wonder Woman Historia at the time, and um, it was a very intricate, labor intensive. A book for him to draw so he wanted to keep the inspiration going and uh he asked a mutual friend of ours as well we did a writing group i said i'll join i just have no idea what i will write what how do i fill a page what do i do what do i put on there and he just said tell us a story and that's what i forced myself to do and uh i ended up writing a lot of stories uh after this sort of floodgates opened all right. So speaking of stories, let's talk about the story behind Nostalgia. So this is set in a uh, not too far in the future, very dystopian, very like almost looks like post-apocalyptic or kind of like on like the verge of that. We have Nostalgia, a bear known as Craig Mancini, a.k.a. Craig Mantis. He's, he's this uh, reclusive rock star who's more or less a legend, I think, in his time, but he's more or less done with it. He's done with music. He's just kind of enjoying his very rich, posh lifestyle. And then some things happen, and he gets drawn into a world that he thought he was kind of done with. I love the story behind this one, and I'm really curious as to where this one came from. I think there's some very obvious, and not to say you miss them, I'm sure you've seen this, you know, there's some very obvious uh, places that I pulled from, which is me having had a, I wouldn't say a long career in music. People have had longer careers. I think we were about 12 years of very intense uh, time uh, as, as, as a touring band and a self-promoting machine, all, you know, the busy, the busy parts of being an active, an active band. And I was looking back at that and I was saying, is, uh, how do you, how do you revisit that? How do you, how do you analyze understand a period in your life that was so that was so crazy that almost seems like it happened in such a almost coincidental way that all the stars aligned and you're like what was that what did i have to do with that it was a collaboration what you know what was my part what uh what could i bring to it if it comes back together what what does it all mean i don't know i i I sound very existential here but that was sort of what it was it was like how do you look at your past in general how do you see something that you've created is that you is that something that you uh that 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 came from you did it come from something else um I started thinking a lot of those things at at the same time the pandemic was was going on I was looking at a world that I saw as as teetering on the brink of these dystopias that I loved reading and I remember I remember reading a um I wish I could remember the name of it now an anthology about about Apocalypse stories and the and the introduction was really great and it was talking about how we love apocalypse stories because we're the ones who survive those stories. Um, so I'm thinking about being a survivor and this is actually true of both of these books that I put out, which are sort of companions in a sort of way. But what is this world that I'm looking at right now feel like as a survivor of these things? And is it the same as the fantasy that I have kind of built up in, in my head and had been obsessed with for so long? So so it's very much about that moment in time and kind of this moment in the time where, you know, politics and the environmental issues and pandemic life and all those things kind of converged. And I was like, wow, this is actually very, 
real in a way that um, maybe science fiction is meant to prepare us for, but I didn't know how prepared I really was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think science fiction prepares us more for the big apocalypses, like the zombies and the robots and the so forth. This is a little more of a subtle apocalypse, and we're not ready for it in the slightest, in my opinion. I think that's an important way to look at it because it's that it's that boiling frog sort of mm-hmm. mentality is, yep. of like you know are we are we prepared for something that sort of sneaks up on us? Um, you know, we all we all think about what we would do again if the if the the zombies descended on us in a you know in three days it would that probably wouldn't be pretty either but uh it's not really the it's not really how these things tend to play out i think uh it's it's a slower descent that i was sort of watching that felt uh felt pretty terrifying i wanted to write about yeah. So what went into building the world here? Because like you said, this reflects a lot of what we're always going through. And of course, your own experience as a musician. So what went into just putting all the pieces together? I was interested in a future where some of these same fears that I mentioned were around, but also there was this uh, opportunity to look at music, art in general, but music specifically in this book as an evolved, a further evolved uh, technology. Music is a technology that allows us to share experiences with other people. Maybe it's one of the more primal um, forms of art that allow us to do that, to really to really express feeling in a way that other people can um, uh, absorb in a in a really in a really visceral way. So to me, the next logical steps with music are further shared experiences, um, further melding of minds with the people that you're obsessed with. And there's also an element of fame to me that um, ties right into that, which is a world where we want to be connect so connected with the people that we're obsessed with that we almost want to live as them or experience their lives. And all those things kind of combine to create this world where, uh, to me, there was a certain escapism because of the state of the world. And that escapism happens to be really sharing uh, experience with your idols mm. that's where this world uh sort of came from okay we're talking about the world and of course this world looks beautiful i mean the art for for this comic is absolutely amazing tell me about about uh, working with the art team behind this daniel jaje who i I've, i probably never said his name completely right he's a croatian artist who um uh, one of my editors will dennis who who has a long history in comics working at dc and vertigo is really connected with he knew what I wanted and he was he's really connected with uh the artists in this world that and and has that vision that I've I've never really been able to have to to look at uh visual artists because maybe I'm more of sometimes a an abstract thinker to look at visual artists and say the this is the kind of person that can create that can put what you have in your head onto paper and so he turned me on to Daniel and I was I was immediately very into his work um it's it was dreamy it was like almost like really it was gritty too and that's what i wondered about those this world and those those two sort of areas something that was sort of psychedelic but also could be really terrifying and and uh and urban so he was a really easy collaboration and what made it easier is that he's he's uh He's someone who takes a script and comes back not with layouts, but with nearly finished pages. After some a lot of initial conversations and some and some sketches, 
he's very open to adjustments, but when it really came down to it, this was, this was a complete collaboration in which he does what he has been doing for 30 years and knows how to do very well. And, that, and he's really good at telling the story in ways that I was still, I think I'm still learning. I probably will be learning for a long time. And a lot of the collaboration actually happened also afterwards, looking at his changes to make the story flow better and readjusting script uh, to that. So, so I was really happy with what happened. And then, then Lee Luridge uh, came along to do colors. And I think he really uh, took it to the next level as well. I think Daniel is a, is a, he's a tougher artist to, to, color because of a lot of the blacks a lot of the inks a lot of um a lot of a lot of information already in what he does and i think they just complemented each other really beautifully and i I, i'm just i'm super happy with it i'm glad you enjoyed the visuals as well but um i can't take a lot of credit for it it was it was you know there was uh there was a lot in that script that you know i uh hopefully left him a lot of leeway and he and he ran with it yeah, the the art to me was it's really really different. Looking at the art for nostalgia, I thought this yeah it's it's very very trippy. It's really musical in a sense because it's not sticking to like certain lines. It kind of flows. Is this what you thought you were going to have for an art style when you were just first writing this? I think when you look at when someone says, "Hey, here's someone that I think can pull this off," it takes a little bit of like readjustment in your brain. But but it was already so close. I think my questions for Daniel were how how would you see this as almost a fantasy, as almost as almost a world where Matt, it, where it's, it, the music is almost a type of magic, and I think that's something I hadn't seen him do before, and watching him play with it, there was a bit of a process. It was, you know, started out a little bit more like bubbles and stuff like this and then became this sort of almost like uh, like tribal tattoo art or something. I mean, which just felt very, which felt very right in the end. And, and um, again, it's hard to say exactly what I had in mind, but this definitely just once I started to see it, all the all my preconceptions started to disappear, and I'm like, oh, I can't see this book any other way. This is how the book was meant to be, and that's probably the best uh, example of a, a you know, or that's an example of the best kind of collaboration. And, and also, you mentioned, sorry you, to interrupt again, but you mentioned the, the the musicality. Went back and forth with him as well as Lee, who did the colors again, um, with a lot of references on uh, of live music because I really wanted that feeling of the way the live shows sort of transport you into that sort of psychedelic world. And um, I think they caught a lot of that as yeah. well. It's funny because I didn't realize at first that, of course, you have such a background in music. I didn't like put those two two together uh, um, at first. And then I was like, oh, this makes a lot more sense now because the, the whole series has this very insider baseball feel to it in terms of like the music career and how he does it in touring and putting on shows. I thought, okay, now it all makes sense because sure i i feel i did i did have something to bring to the table in that regard and in in terms of understanding that inside world and it doesn't seem as foreign to me and i realized as i'm writing this oh no one's i shouldn't say no one very few of these people have been backstage to see what happens very few of these people have been in uh, management meetings to see how those meetings sound and that was a fun part for me because it wasn't i didn't have to uh, imagine another world in that sense. I've 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 been in those meetings. I I didn't see it as much as 
as me recounting personal tales as me having been a fly on the wall. And I love being a fly on the wall. I love being, you know, obviously I, I had a lot to do with my own career, but there were plenty of points where I got to witness other people's careers and got to witness um, what this looks like for everyone and how it's different for different artists and, and um, kind of put all that knowledge into, into the book. Do you see a lot of crossover with regards to music and comics? It's funny. I, I see a lot of crossover between all the things I love and comics and music happen to be two of them. Growing up a fan of sort of general escapism, it was film, it was anime and manga, it was more slightly more traditional comics, although I was never really a big superhero comic reader. But there was a lot of... Uh, connection between all those forms of escapism and for me it was very specific kind of escape it was it was fantastical stuff it was um uh it was stuff that really um kind of confused me and made me want to know more about what i was i was being uh delivered so so the connection to me yeah i mean in, in generally speaking yes they're both really intense they can be very intense forms of expression and um, and really fun uh, fun ways of sorting sort of putting outrageous ideas out into the world. But really, the connection is that I I like the idea of escaping and creating worlds, and those those are both two two very uh, inspiring ways for me to to do it. Don't tell me that you're an anime and comics fan because we will be here all day. I yeah, yeah. I was just, <laughs> yeah, I was just watching Ghost in the Shell again last nice. night. And it's funny because I don't even know that. Like, like I've seen, I've seen Evangelion like so many times. I don't, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't run through Nerve and the and the the you know the different factions and what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, I'm so confused by it. But I think I love that I'm so confused by it. I and I love the visuals. I love the escapism of. That the, the that art and the beauty of those things, and so yeah, I I I don't even know why I consume it sometimes because uh, it's so baffling to me. But maybe that's why. Yeah, because I love it. it I, I think because it excites you. I mean, like for me, anime. What I loved was just the visuals, but also the endless array of stories. I mean, like you look at. I mean, you, uh, you mentioned uh, Ghost in the Shell, um, uh, Ninja Scroll. I'm just kind of going by some like older, older anime. Like that was one of my first ones. Yes. Ninja Scroll. Oh my god, one of my first ones that, yeah. too. Loved that. Yeah, I, I was surprised at the violence. I was like, okay, that's really a lot. Okay, cool, cool. Oh yeah. And now, oh, yeah. And now of course, that's kind of how like anime is for for the uh, the most I was, part. I was gonna say that that's just the norm to see blood just like like a fire hose squirting yeah. out of someone's <laughs> neck. You know, yeah. it's like in, but at the, in the moment it was insane. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah, especially as someone as like you and I were probably growing up on on a lot of the same stuff. Like cartoons for us, animation was way less violent. And then you watch anime, it's like wow, it's like is that someone's colon? Okay, all right, exactly. Someone someone used to the Smurfs, like really, like (laughs) has to has to readjust to Ninja Scroll. Yeah, yeah. Did you take anything from maybe like your favorite animes into the series at all? Whether it was like visually with your ideas or even with the story. Definitely. I mean, um, I, I think a little bit more with with WAG, and I don't know if you're okay a little pivoting, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. pivoting a little bit to that yeah, one, but I work with an artist, Juan Bobillo, on this one, who who's a very different artist than Daniel, and they're, they're both just so unique 
you know, I have such different experience, different amazing experiences with both of them. But but with Juan and and with Wag in particular, I wanted to do this really um, almost anime esque post apocalyptic sort of the easiest way to put it, sort of the Mad Max sort of uh, desolate uh, post apocalyptic landscape. And that was a really anime inspired thing for me. I, I was watching this. Um, well, of course, there's there's always um, there's all, always Evangelion. There's always uh, uh, Akira in terms of these sort of like almost almost partially destroyed worlds. But um, these animes like Wind Named Amnesia. I don't know if you've seen this this really bizarre '90s anime where it's just basically a completely wiped out desolate world. Um, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind. You know stuff like these these sort of like like really beyond post apocalyptic landscapes. And that was a big inspiration for this book. And actually, the original sketches for for Wag were this sort of wanderer through this really um, sort of anime esque or manga esque landscape, um, Fist of the North Star type type stuff. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of desert, a lot of you know sort of like burned out cities. And and that sort of came in came into that world, but of course I'm not Japanese. I I am not going to attempt to um to sort of create my own version. I mean, maybe at some point I'd love to create some some sort of uh, manga adjacent book. But there was sort of the combination of those influences, and of course the very American ones. And it, I think that's just what what sort of created this. You know, like like what if it, it was that. Uh, in the middle of a sort of swamp thing type world where you're sort of in this world that is extremely desolate, but also growing back, you know, is also uh, coming back to life. You know, I was just thinking that nostalgia would make an absolutely beautiful anime. If you had the right studio behind it, that would be an absolutely beautiful animated series. I was going to say, do you, if, you, if you know anyone, let me know, ah. because absolutely. I mean, I, the idea of seeing one of my stories as an animation is, like, is such a dream. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of live action, but but I almost like never – I'm always like a little – God, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I'm always a little disappointed seeing drawn comics and, and animation – um created as live action uh there's something so magical about the way those those feel where your mind is allowed to sort of fill in blanks yourself and then seeing it in in these live action worlds where almost the norm is to take them and decartoonize them to sort of make make things a bit darker and a bit grittier i don't know if i mean i i like that when it's when it's christopher nolan's batman but for a lot of a lot of the adaptations, the live action adaptations I've seen, it just doesn't have the same magic to me. So the real dream for me is is some kind of animation. Um, I, I love it. I would love to see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree because I've seen some of the live action adaptations of anime. I've seen... Um... Uh, Cowboy Bebop. I've seen. Uh, I didn't want to say it. That's the one. Yeah, I, yeah it's the one that was I on have, the front of my mind. Yeah, yeah. I've seen uh, Attack on Titan, the live action version of that. That's pure nightmare uh, fuel, by the way, folks. Pure fucking nightmare fuel. I liked it, but it's nightmare fuel. And I mean, the the, the anime is pretty nightmarish as well. But yeah, sure. I wonder if like that just doesn't it just doesn't translate quite the way you'd want it to on the yeah. live action. I, I actually haven't seen it. It's well, the Titans are all played by actual people, so there you go, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree because I think with animation and um, you know, and also with comics too, there is no limit to what you want to do. Whatever you want to do, 
you can do it. If you, if you can think about it, someone can like visualize it for you. Yeah. yeah. And with live action, there's always going to be a ceiling. No matter how good the CGI gets, no matter how good right. it all gets, there's a ceiling. And that's that. And that and that's even speaking technologically, um, you know. And then you get into budgets, and it's like, what do you have to sacrifice um, in live action to to yeah. really create a world? The sky's a limit with animation, isn't it? You can, yeah. It's just as expensive to to make a drama as it is to make a, a giant sci fi epic. Sure. Well, actually, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, it, it's actually Similar funny we're talking about budgets. this because. Um, I was just last night, um, uh, my girlfriend and I were just watching the newest episode of the Ahsoka series on Disney Plus, and we've been loving mm. it. But there's those scenes where like, huh, did they lose their budget? Because some of this stuff look, look, looks like really cheap. And I was thinking, probably, okay, it's, but, but with like, the isn't quote, that the sort of like uh, the Game of Thrones theory where it's like, you know, you don't see the dragon yeah. until the final, you know, <laughs> until the season season finale because they're saving all the budget. Right. Those, it's uh, like, yeah. It's like uh, someone in accounting said, can't do that. You can't do yeah, that. No, but with, no. if you do it here, you can't do it there. Right. right? Yeah. But then yeah. with like the Clone Wars series, of course, that was purely animated. So you can do whatever you want. With live action, there's always going to be a cap somewhere. I think that was a big, a big turn on to me. And I, not to say you can't do anything you want in music, but there's always there's always a certain limitation in in the bigger world building, right? There's always a limitation in what the live shows can look like, what you know, what what you're wearing, what the sort of presentation is, uh, budgetary restrictions, and and stuff that's just always on the front of your mind. Not to say, you know, it's it, I never want to sound like I'm complaining. It's just uh, something that is part of what you do that. Um, it becomes a consideration, and and for me, writing um, those considerations are just all out the the window. Yeah. It's the, the it, it just com- it feels completely freeing. You can do literally anything you want to do yeah. in a in a comic book. Well, what I want to do right now is talk about Wag because this is your other series you're working yeah. on. This is now two issues in, also on Comicsology. Another very post apocalyptic story. You have a loner character, Wag. Again, very similar in terms of the character to uh, nostalgia, but very different people. These two could not, could not be further apart. You know, Wag is this, this right. ultra-violent, quiet guy who winds up going on a, on a quest to find his medication, basically. Um, right. Yeah. Right. What's it like making... Or, or, at least a, or at least a cure, I should say, yeah. um, in, in the end, whether, yeah. whether, it's, whether it's the medication or figuring out what's going on in his head, which I'm sure... Um, a lot of people, especially nerds like us, can relate to. Mm-hmm. Without getting too spoilery, what is wrong with Wag? Like, what's what's the situation? Wag hears voices in his head, and he has obsessions. And um, I think this was a book about a very simple question. Nostalgia was a book about a lot of questions I had, and a lot of uh, a lot of maybe timely issues and things like that. This was, this was a very particular question that of course it through the book branches out into a, uh, into a whole world of, of ideas to me. But, um, wag was about the question of what happens when the pills are gone. What happens when, when the event, whatever sort of event happens that, um, that disrupts our daily comforts is gone. And we don't have access to the things we take for granted, like medication, like medical interventions of any kind so that to me was what was interesting and also terrifying about that scenario uh yeah especially the fact that wag has an actual graveyard of folks that he's killed 
Yeah, I think um, I, I was less interested in the violence, actually, of this series. And there's a little bit of a, you know, definitely the the, the Fist of the North Star, that sort of like uh, hyper, hyper-violent uh, uh, manga and anime reference in there. But really what it was about was about controlling your environment, someone who uh, is so desperate to hold on to his comfort that he will um, protect it at any cost. And, uh, that's something again, like, uh, uh, my fighting skills personally aren't very good, but I do know what it's like to, uh, to defend my, my bubble of, of, of comfort. And I think uh, a lot of us would do just about anything, especially once the pandemic hit again, which is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the moment these were both written in once that moment hit and realizing that for some people it was, it was a, a cage to be in their home and, and, um, stuck without, uh, uh, the ability to, to go out and see people. To me, there was, a um, a strange comfort in, in not having to go out and deal with the rest of the world. And, uh, I will just say it. Yeah. So, so to me, there was a sort of like uh, the idea of this sort of protectedness uh, of this bubble around yourself that I think I found his resorting to just about anything to hold on to that was interesting. Scott, I am right there with you, man, because I was the exact same way. When it became clear this was not, you know, like a two-week thing and that it was going to be a long haul, I thought, you know what? I'm okay with this, actually. I'm okay with not leaving my house for a while. I'm cool with being home alone. I'm cool with, you know just taking this break from what before was a pretty busy life. Honestly, I, I told my friends I've been training for this my whole life. Oh, you right. know, I, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a homebody at times. I, you know, funny for someone who had a career going out and playing in, uh, you know, in, in clubs and, and theaters and eventually other, all, you know, going out to music festivals for a living. But, um, for the most part, there was always that escape and there was always the, the bus or the, the hotel room to retreat to. And, yeah. and, um, and you're almost pushed there in the, in a music career to, to kind of sometimes have, that's your only escape. So it really becomes important to you to have those things. And um, yeah, I, I, I do happen to be one of those people that, that was terrified by the pandemic, but also there was a, there was a, a comfort that I almost scared me as much as the pandemic itself is like, wow, I could really do this. <laughs> it's like, I could get used to this forever. This isn't so bad. Yeah. I think I have. I think I have. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Did you wind up putting any of you into either nostalgia or wag as characters? Um, I think there's a lot of me in both of them. I think that's inevitable. I think I was almost even self-consciously looking at my learning to write stories and write comics a sort of acceptance that what I'm going to be doing at least for a while is writing different versions of my story and different versions of my thoughts. And I think sometimes that's even great writers ever do is continue to tell different versions of their own stories. So yeah, I, I, I think a lot of me is in there, but kind of accepting that gave me a lot of freedom to kind of let it be whatever I wanted, I think as well. So, so there's elements of me, but, but, I'm just an observer, you know, I love, as much as I like uh, being a bit of a loner, I like observing the way other people act and, and under, trying to understand the psychology of other people. So I think it's a, it's a big hybrid of me trying to understand the way other people function as well. Like I'm not a nostal- nostalgia, I'm not, you know, him as a character. I'm not uh, someone who uh, enjoys telling my unadulterated personal story to the rest of the world. 
that's a personality type that I really wanted to try to, I think, understand a little bit better. Not to say necessarily a narcissist, but there is a bit of narcissism that goes into being a, a person who decides to be a, a self you know, self-titled artist out in the world. And that was kind of interesting to me. So maybe I'm a mixture of, uh, of both of those things. Maybe, maybe. Now you mentioned earlier that with both series, you were answering questions. Do you feel like you got to do that? I do go by the philosophy that the, that the best stories sort of end as questions. They, they don't, they don't necessarily answer questions. I think it's, it's the, they're more, always about possible answers to questions. And I, and I do think nostalgia, I don't want to get too into the ending, but I do think there's a bit of a cop out in the ending in terms of where he decides to look back at his past. But that's, that's sort of part of the continuing question is, um, you know, how much do you have to lie to yourself to, to believe in yourself? I don't know if that's a funny way to put the philosophy of that book, but maybe it is. Um, But I think that the characters in this answer it in their own way. I don't think the big questions get answered universally in in these books. I don't know, especially if we're talking about a book like Wag, where I was thinking a lot about the voice in your head in particular and, and the way we see our voice in the head and actually doing a bit of reading and research and understanding about how we see the voice in our own head. Um, I don't know that that's a question that ever gets answered. It's just something that has different answers through history and wag, I guess is going to find some way to either deal with it or not by the, by the end of the book, either it's going to overtake him or he's going to, um, he's going to find his way of, of defeating it. So to me, yeah, I think the bigger questions don't get answered, but for the characters, hopefully they're in a place where they do have an answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's too vague for you, but uh, I get you. No, I get you. I get but you. I could say, all right, so with nostalgia, obviously this was kind of like your world, the world, uh, the world of music, the world of entertainment. Wag, though, I, I think was a little, it's sort of outside of what you're familiar with. Did you have to do any kind of like research to kind of get into this character's head? I think what I did was uh, I was interested in Wag in particular, and this was the first one I wrote. And I was thinking a lot about, you know, when you enter a, something new, a, a, a new craft, I guess you could call it. Maybe the best thing to do is to sort of uh, see who came before you and and try to have an understanding of how these things work. And so I was really interested in the idea of the post-apocalyptic trope. So I think a lot of my research was going back to a lot of this stuff I love and said, how did I how did they put these worlds together and how how did they maybe get it wrong and get it right? So that my research wasn't maybe as much. Uh, you know, scientific or fact-based. It was more about the idea of the of the post-apocalyptic story and what was it about that that um, that drew, drew me to it. But I will say also at the same time, I think I was reading a lot of. I'm going to say his name wrong. No, Yuval Hariri. Um, again, I should probably Google his name again. Uh, the Israeli writer. God, I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> You've all Noah Hariri. That's yeah. you know I've I've only read every one of his books. I should probably know uh, the order <laughs> of his names, but but he is he's just this incredible sort of futurist and anthropologist. And I read a lot of his writing about uh, the possible breakdown of societies, but also how um, the world we're living in isn't isn't that isn't as surprising as we sometimes think it is. And sometimes these developments in our society are 
uh, are more positive than we think they are. So I was sort of thinking again, it's like uh, I was in, in doing sort of anthropological research, just kind of thinking about, or I shouldn't even say research, but, but doing anthropological sort of like uh, immersing myself in anthropological theories, I guess I should say the idea that um, future we f- may find ourselves as strange as it may be, maybe something that is something we can adapt to more naturally as well. I'm really into anthropology and sociology and, and nerdy people that talk about these things. Again, man, right there with you, right there with you. With yeah. Stuff. Yeah. It, I recommend, I mean, I'd recommend Sapiens, uh, which is Hariri's, I think his first book, but his most notable book, I'd recommend it to anyone, just kind of the entire history of humanity and, and, and why we've adapted in the way we have. And I think it is a lot of food for thought about, um, where we could be going and you know we have such a limited view of of our world because of the specific time we live in but but broadening the scope to say oh like we will adapt in a lot of different situations or at some point like every other i don't know not every every other species before us has become extinct at some point right so mm-hmm. i don't know maybe the unacceptance of that is is a good thing too it's, Try and bring it down here. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it's a healthy way to look at things. All right. Uh, we are coming down to the end of the conversation, Scott. But, of course, the big question is, are the two titles it for you? Uh, do you think you're going to have more comics in the future? It depends only on whether uh, people decide to partner up with me and put more books out along with me. I have a lot more scripts that I've written. I have a lot more ideas in my head. So, uh Hopefully there will be plenty to come, like it or not. Um, yeah, I uh, I don't have any specific news on that yet, but um, this is the first couple scripts of about, I think I have a, about a, a 10 or 11 that uh, are done and ready to be drawn and for better or worse, um, I want to put out into the world. So it's it's been a fun journey. And I, I, I really love the process and, you know, maybe a novel at some point if I can get it together. But um, I love this. I love this medium. I love the um, I love the ability to sort of write scripts and then see them come to life with the help of other people as well. Sure. How did it feel when you saw the first cover of Nostalgia and you had it on your tablet and think, holy shit, everyone's seeing this? terrifying and and amazing and something i had really been uh been working towards actually i should mention by the way ryan hughes who uh, designed the covers for both of these series and i'm i'm really really happy with and he's a legend in uh in in the comics field and and an incredible fiction writer as well actually but um Yes, to see those out there in the world was amazing. And also with those amazing covers, I just should mention that I just feel like, um, you know, he sort of has made pieces of art that, that, that tie in so great and build worlds with, with these books. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. I, I found the best thing for me. I don't listen to my old music unless actually maybe there's a lot of time in between and I say like, uh, oh, I haven't heard that in a while or that old demo. Maybe there's something there, but uh, I don't hear it the same way other people do. And I think I don't read my stuff the way other people do. I want to be critical of myself, but I think it's best for me to just not look at it once it's out and just think think about moving forward. So the good thing about having written a bunch of scripts is that came out and I said, well, people can love it or hate it, but I've already written five more since then. And hopefully uh, if they hate it, that I've written something better uh, by then. So 
Yeah, I think I think that's just my 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 way of dealing with it is to say, look, it's out there. It's super exciting. I mean, I'm so I'm so like blessed to to have books out in the world. It's been a dream for me. But now I'm definitely thinking about the future. Me too, and I am definitely uh, looking forward to seeing what you uh, come out with next, Scott. Appreciate that. Yeah, of course, man, of course. Uh, this is it, folks. We are down to the end of the episode. Scott Hoffman, thank you so much for joining me. And before we go, uh, where do folks go to learn more about you and to check out the works? So um, both books are uh, part of the Comixology Originals line. You can uh, find those on the Comixology app on Amazon.com, and actually they are free if you have a uh, Comixology Unlimited subscription, a Kindle Unlimited subscription, or, which most people don't realize they have access to with their Amazon Prime subscription, they can read this for free. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a subscription-based model unless you you know decide to buy it and don't have one of those things. It's available for you, and you can read it on your iPad, and it looks awesome on there, and that's on the Comixology or Kindle app. So they're out there, and uh, there will be news of, of physical releases of, of the trades, the collected trades out there uh, at some point in the hopeful near future. And in the meantime, yeah, go 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 find them. And I'm Tankfastic Man on uh, all social media. I like Instagram. It's probably the best one for me. Say hi. Um, check out the books. And, yeah, that's my spiel. Excellent. Well, I... The fact that you said physical copies, that got me very excited because I love just like to like fill the shelves of comics. So, you know, count me in for one when they come. I, out. I, re- I really appreciate that. And I think part of when you ask if, you know, how I feel about having them out there, I love the digital world, but I'm really excited to have it in my hands. That yes. That's going to be a big deal yeah, for me definitely. Uh, when that comes around. I would go so far as to say that the covers are like poster worthy. This I agree. I appreciate that. I'm ex- I'm excited for you to see the future WAG covers as well because I think everyone is a work of art. I, I think Ryan and Juan's collaborations were amazing. And um, one thing Ryan said to me is like, "I don't want these to look like comic book covers." And I was kind of like, "Oh, but it's my first comics, and don't we want?" And he's like, "Nope, nope." All, every he's like, "Every comic you've mentioned to me at the time looked absolutely insane, and you have to do something that looks completely." Uh, out of the ordinary and so yeah. so i'm i'm super happy with it absolutely it was the right way it was the right way to go well scott this is it man we're coming to the end it's been, Sir, it's been absolutely fun i appreciate talking. it yeah it's been amazing talking to you uh definitely uh, looking forward to seeing what's next and looking forward to the next conversation i appreciate it have me on anytime And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. You can find this show on your favorite podcast platforms and new episodes are added every week, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. You can get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com. Whether you want to suggest a guest, submit music for the bi-weekly Blackout Collection playlist, or just say hello. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.